January 1st, we made it, guys. We made it. <laughs> uh, yeah, most of you look pretty fresh, which means you learned from the mistakes of your youth and you didn't stay up too late. Good job. Um, I cannot remember a more chaotic year, uh, at least in my lifetime. At least for my family, uh, COVID year was not even com- worth comparing to this last year. Um, most of you, I think, know me, know my family, know our story. Uh, for those of you who don't, let me give you just a briefing, a real quick briefing. We've been missionaries in Ukraine for nine years, and at not quite the nine-year mark, Russia finally decided to do what it had been threatening to do for, for years, which was to make an all-out invasion and try to eliminate Ukraine as a country, as a people. Uh, we were living in Ukraine at that time. And uh, soon thereafter, we moved into Poland, where we tried to continue to minister as much as we could, and eventually we came back to the United States, where we kind of now find ourselves somewhere between at home and homeless. Not really sure exactly where we fit. Um, Any experience like that, as profound as that, is going to change the way that you understand the scriptures. It's going, to, it's going to change the way that you view the story that God is telling. And so today, the sermon is a little bit less like maybe what you're used to, which is taking one scripture and diving really deep into it. And instead, I want to invite with you, I want to invite you to, with me, uh, try to look at the whole Bible story through a new set of glasses, the, the glasses of a displaced person. And so our, our sermon today is called The Gospel for the Displaced. And we're going to see that it is actually a theme that runs from the very beginning to the very end. So I invite you to put those, those glasses on as we read. We're going to look at a lot of different scriptures throughout the course of the sermon, but I'm going to start in Hebrews 11. Uh, so if you have a Bible in front of you, let's look at Hebrews 11, 8 through 10. And then we'll jump forward and look at verses 13 through 16 as well. Hebrews 11. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Jumping down to verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, We heard it during the call to confession, call to repentance, that we are strangers on this earth. And there are many around us who experience that more profoundly than us. 
And we pray that you would help us today to see your word in a new light. Help us to put on the glasses of a displaced person and to see what you have to say to us, thinking of it in this way. We pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. My friends Vasya and Vika woke up at 5.30 a.m. on February 24th to the sound of explosions shaking the windows of their high-rise apartment building. Quickly, they grabbed their backpacks, which were full of not much. You can't fit a whole lot into your backpacks. You can't throw beds and chairs and dishes into backpacks. They had just the essentials. They quickly grabbed it, ran to their car, and drove to the rallying point, which was just outside of their city, the city of Kharkiv. Uh, when they got there, they met a few friends. Their car had five seats, but an extra friend had shown up, and they couldn't just say no, and they were planning to drive west. And so six of them jumped into a five-seat car and started driving away, the explosions still going off behind them, fleeing who knows what horrors and really not knowing where they were going to. They stopped for gas twice along the way as they were driving to our city of Lviv. Each time they had to wait for about two hours to get gas. Every time they connected with more roads, there was more and more cars fleeing west. It's a long drive anyway. It's a 14-hour drive, which is kind of a marathon drive for one day if you're driving from Kharkiv to Lviv. It took them 36 hours to drive without sleep and only stopping to get gas. When they finally arrived, they dropped off Vasya's sister-in-law and her little baby. His brother had had to stay behind as the pastor of the church to destroy any documents so that in case the Russians did occupy their city of Kharkiv, that they wouldn't know who to target. They wouldn't know what building to try to destroy. They wouldn't know who to try to put into prison or potentially kill. Eventually, he made his way to Lviv as well. But when Vasya and Vika finally arrived at the church, they just collapsed in tears. <laughs> that was just their first day fleeing. And of course, now they're in a city where they're speaking their second language because Russian's their first language. They don't know what their job's going to be. They have nowhere to live They're here with some clothes. Eventually, Anna had to give some of her sweaters and clothes to Vika. Vasya took a few of my T-shirts and a pair of jeans. I mean, they're there with almost no knowledge of what their future is going to be. That's the experience of being a displaced person. It's hard. It's pain. It's loss. It's confusion. It's weakness. And that... That is why God calls us, his people, to love the displaced. And so that is what we're going to look at first today, is the way that God calls us, the Christians of his community, to love the displaced. So this is really not a theme that is just a tiny little side note in the Bible. This is actually something that runs from beginning to end. God calls his people throughout the scriptures all the time to love the strangers, the foreigners, those who are different than them, who are temporarily or just outsiders in their land. And displacement can look a lot of different ways, by the way. I know that Ukrainians right now are experiencing it to the extreme, you know, very violent form of displacement, running from war. But there's a lot of different kinds, different kinds of involuntary displacement. You know, there's 
uh, fleeing religious persecution, there's human trafficking, there's fleeing war, but there's also voluntary displacement. There's just looking for a better job somewhere else. There's looking for a good education. It may sound fun. Looking for adventure is in some ways a kind of displacement. You're going to a new place and there's always loss and pain that's associated with it. Let's look at a couple of the verses. If you want to turn there, Deuteronomy 10:18, we hear these words. The Lord executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. And so because God loves them, he then tells his people in Exodus 22, 21, you shall not wrong the sojourner or oppress him, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. And then again in Deuteronomy 27, 19, sorry, I'm moving a little fast. I realize you're not going to be able to hit all these. You can just listen. Cursed is anyone who withholds justice from the foreigner. It's almost like God is telling his people, I've given you a land and you are going to live there. But it's not just for you. There are others who are always going to be there with you. Foreigners, outsiders. Ruth was from Moab, you might remember. The Philistines were constantly there within the borders of Israel. In Judges, they don't drive out everybody. God's telling them, you are going to have foreigners amongst you and you have to take care of them. Because you were once foreigners, if you'll remember, in the land of Egypt. Love them, go to them, find them, and bring them into your nation. Bring them into your families. Uh, our, our missions team, if I'm really honest, didn't do an awesome job of welcoming the Ukrainians from the east. We tried. We did what we could. We knew that this could happen, and so we did what we could. We, we bought extra beds. We cleared out our office, made space for people to sleep and just live for a few days if they needed to. We made a little team of people to try to plan what was going to happen if all these people came from eastern Ukraine. But we had to turn away hundreds, thousands even, that were in the, the train station looking for somewhere to sleep because we just didn't have enough room and didn't plan well enough. My team leader's family took in a, a mother and a child, and every time the air raid siren went off, the child just fell to the ground and started screaming, we're all going to die, we're all going to die. And he didn't know what to do. What do you do with that? How do you handle that? Eventually, our family was forced to leave as well because we had hit the, the edges of our own, uh, our own capacities. We didn't do a very great job, but we did what we could. And I think that's sometimes what God is calling us to, just to recognize that there are foreigners around us and that we're called to do what we can to love them. There are right now 8 million Ukrainians displaced throughout Europe and another 8 million displaced within Ukraine. People say that probably there's more Ukrainian children living outside of their home than there are within their home. Um, but the funny thing is that Ukraine is just, it's just a drop in the bucket of the global phenomenon, phenomenon of displaced people. Just think to yourself, how many international immigrants do you think there are in the world today? People who are not living in the country that they were born in. According to my research, which 
is not very extensive, but it's what I found. 272 million people in the world, which means that if the people who are international immigrants were their own country, they would be the fifth largest nation in the world. A lot, and, and that's only growing. This is, it was about 160 million 20 years ago. So this is something that's only increasing. People who are sojourners and passers through are people that are going to continue to be with us. And that's not even counting, of course, modern-day slavery, human trafficking, which is not counted. And international migrants doesn't count the hundreds of millions who are displaced within their own country. And for those of you who have moved, you know that there's, there's cultural barriers when you move from one place to another. That's not counting people who move from Hong Kong to Western China or from Kharkiv to Lviv, from Boston to Birmingham. <laughs> there's a cultural barrier there, right? It's, it feels like you're an outsider. So the practical question is, for you, is this really even relevant to us here in Chilton County? Like, is there really, are there foreigners, are there displaced people around us? Uh, again, my research, Chilton County is not a hugely populous place, but there's 2,000 international migrants living just within this county. And that's, of course, not to mention the how many more hundreds or thousands of second-generation immigrants who still don't really feel at home here. And we, as God's people, are called to love them. In 1985, in the Nepali Air Force, there was an officer. His name was Prem Pradhan. He was stationed in North India for a time. And while he was stationed there, he decided to go and listen to the famous Indian preacher preach, even though he was not a Christian. And while he was listening at this chapel service, God touched the heart. Of, of Prem. And he came to realize that Jesus was the Savior that God had sent into the world. And so he believed, he repented, he came to faith in Christ, became a Christian. Prem Pradhan became what was known as the apostle to the Nepalese. And he was probably one of the most influential people to turn Nepal from what it was in the 1950s, which was really just a few Christians, into what it is today, which is over 100,000 Christians. The preacher that night was a man named Bakht Singh. So Bakht Singh was a man who started a church planting movement in India. And just during his lifetime, over 500 churches were started through his movement. How did Bakht become a Christian? He became a Christian when he was an international student in Winnipeg, Canada. He didn't have anywhere to go when he was there for Christmas break, so he just stayed there for Christmas. He was working out at the local YMCA, and he just saw an older man there who looked like he was very joyful and at peace, and there weren't a lot of people around, and so he went over and started talking to this older man, and they struck up a conversation, and the man realized he didn't have anywhere to go for Christmas, and so he invited him to come join him and his, his wife for Christmas that year. So this young 20-something Indian man came to this older couple's house, and had, I'm sure, turkey and gravy and mashed potatoes and whatever else they eat in Winnipeg, I guess, at Christmas. And they enjoyed their meal, and conversation ended up coming to this couple's faith, and they shared with them the hope they had in Jesus, and Bach became a Christian. Because of the hospitality of some, you could say, random elderly couple in Winnipeg, Canada, 
hundreds of churches in India and Nepal were started. Literally hundreds of thousands of people have the hope of Jesus. Because at a YMCA, an older man decided to open his heart to this young Indian man. Like it says in Hebrews, show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Okay, so up until this point, I've been talking about us loving others, the displaced. How we're called to welcome the hurting. How our missions team welcomed the hurting Ukrainians from eastern Ukraine. As things got worse in Ukraine over the first few days of the war, we needed to evacuate as a family. And somewhere between Lviv and Krakow, Poland, sitting in my Mitsubishi, it hit me. I am a displaced person. This is no longer something outside of me. This is, this is my story. To be honest... It was a little romantic at first. (laughs) Uh, It kind of felt like a real-life sound of music. We were literally dragging our children across the mountains, fleeing the enemy. Uh, I felt like I just needed to have Anna in a a hand-woven dress singing Edelweiss as we ran through the mountains. I think I actually put a picture up there. Did we we see the picture of... It's okay. We'll pray later. Um, So we're fleeing through the mountains, crossing, taking our children doing something that feels very, I don't know, meaningful, important. Um, It became a lot less romantic as we were stuck in the car for the third day in a row when we had to sleep in a cold house in Romania in February with no heat. Hotels are really fun to travel to sometimes. They're not a lot of fun to live in for weeks on end with four children. Um, There was one night I remember... My seven-year-old, Lucy, who's sitting with us, we were sitting on the, on the floor in the bathroom of the hotel trying not to wake up the other kids, and she was just crying. And, and she said, Daddy, why do I feel so angry? Why did Adam and Eve have to sin? If they didn't sin, Russia would not have invaded, and then we wouldn't have had to run away from our house in Ukraine. Suddenly, the pain and weakness of being a displaced person was not something I was helping others with. It was me. It was us. Some time has gone by since those kind of dark days in March, and I've reflected a lot more on this. And I've come to realize that we're actually all displaced people. And that's why God calls us not to just love the displaced, but to love out of our own displacement. Now, I know some of you are looking at me and you're thinking, Kirk, what are you talking about? I am not a displaced person. I did not flee war in Ukraine, all right? That's not my story. And my response would be, actually, yes, you are. Lucy went right back to the right place in the scriptures because do you realize that the moment that Adam and Eve sinned, God's response to them rightly was to displace them. He exiled them. At the end of the story in Genesis 3, we read, The Lord God sent Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden. He drove them out. One of the first effects of the fall into sin was exile. 
Um, I actually don't know half of you probably, so this is a little bit of a demographic study for me. I'm curious, is there anybody in here, just a show of hands, over 18 years old who was born in Chilton County, raised in Chilton County, and still now lives in Chilton County? Okay, so there actually are some, about eight. (laughs) So um, if we exclude those eight, that means that we're all living somewhere we weren't born, right? We all at least were displaced partially. But even if I include those eight, we understand in our heart that we are not in the world as it's meant to be. We have a sense of estrangement, right? That, of course, there's, there's moments when we feel like we belong, where this is our place. And then our friend betrays us. Or our child rebels and turns away from the faith. Or we lose our job. Or we just realize the world does not work the way it's supposed to. I think that we all know in our heads and feel somewhere in our bones that we're we're displaced currently. We're not where we're meant to be. And that's actually especially true of you if you claim the name of Christian. Philippians 3.20 tells us that our citizenship is, is where? In heaven, right? Our citizenship is not in the world as it is right now. Our citizenship is in heaven. We all have weakness, pain, and we feel that sense of exile to some extent. And the good news is that God loves to use hurting, weak people to bring about really great redemption. You might have noticed, actually, when we were doing the call to confession and repentance, that God called his people to love the sojourner and the stranger. Why? Do you remember the reason that he gave? Because you were sojourners in Egypt. It's like he's saying, hey, don't forget who you are. You remember that weakness of being a slave, of not belonging, of the chaos and displacement? Hold on to that. Don't forget it, because that's how you love others out of that. Or as Paul put it in the New Testament in 2 Corinthians, God comforts us in all of our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which God comforted us with. Or the Apostle Paul, who pleaded with God to take away his affliction, the thorn in the flesh. And God said, no, I don't think I will. And Paul said, I am therefore content in my weakness. I know the first thing I told you was that we are called to love the displaced, but the ironic thing is that God actually used displaced people to further his mission throughout the story of the Bible. Let's just do a quick survey. Abraham is called to leave his home, and he lives in tents. And through Abraham, God blesses the entire world. Abraham's great-grandson, Joseph, sold as a slave into Egypt, where he's in prison, out of place, hated. Eventually, God saves most of the known world from a famine through Joseph. Then he sends his entire people into exile in Babylon. And while they're in Babylon, Daniel, who's a displaced person, shows God's glory to a bunch of pagan kings. And then you might be thinking, okay, but it changes in the New Testament, right? People voluntarily and willingly go out as missionaries, like the Apostle Paul. 
Do you know who the first missionaries were in the New Testament, in the book of Acts? Paul and Barnabas? It wasn't them. If you look in the book of Acts, verse 1, we read this. There arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, and those who were scattered went about preaching the word. They didn't even want to be missionaries. God scattered them by persecution, and that's how he spread the church. Before Paul ever volunteered for a missionary journey, God sent persecuted Christians, displaced people, weak, living in chaos to change the world. Uh, This summer, you might remember a project that we organized called Crates for Ukraine. I think the last time that I was here, I shared about it with you all. So we organized this big project where we wanted to get a bunch of life-saving aid from the hands of American Christians into the hands of Ukrainian Christians so that they could then pass it on to the neediest on the front lines of the war and in the places where Russia was already occupying. So we gathered a bunch of tourniquets and and bandages and, and vitamins and different medicines and all the things that were needed, which, side note, advertisement, by the way. We're about to do another round this coming month. If you want to take part, you can talk to me later. Uh, but we passed all these things on, and this, the plan was to gather all of this and then send it on to the Ukrainian Christians. To be totally honest with you, by the time that came around, I was wiped out. I had been displaced in Poland for three months, back and forth, separated from my family. And then we were traveling through America, which kind of feels like home, but we never actually had anywhere to live every other week moving to a different place. And then I was sent back to Poland to try to receive all of these couriers, bringing all of these crates. And I just didn't have a whole lot in me. The the idea in theory was that I would be there strong and confident, ready to receive all of these people and paint the picture to them of how all of these things they were bringing was a bigger part of God's mission and they were helping to save Ukrainian lives and move forward the kingdom of God. Instead, what ended up really happening is I was wiped out. I was anxious day and night. I was weepy like a little child for most of the weeks I was there. And by the final week of hosting, I was a mess. And I remember that there was a group from Faith Presbyterian Church in Birmingham. Some of you may know them. And they came and they were so gentle and kind with me. And honestly, I just followed them around like a little puppy for a few days. (laughs) Like, take me to dinner, take care of me because I don't have much to offer you. And instead of painting this beautiful picture of what was going on, I basically just wept as I told them the stories of genocide that I was hearing daily and the people that I was having to care for in the midst of this. Three months later, I was sitting with their missions pastor, and I remember talking to him about the time when Faith Prez sent their couriers over and I received them, and I kind of laughed nervously, and I was like, yeah, I was a little bit of a mess when they came. And he looked me right in the eyes and he said seriously, They came back different because of their time with you. He said they went, and when they came back, they told the story that they had gone all excited and happy and sort of happy-go-lucky that we're really doing something that's meaningful. We get to change people's lives. And, And then they actually spent time with you and heard the stories, and they realized this isn't a game. 
This isn't just something fun for us to feel good. And they left really knowing how to pray for the people of Ukraine and the suffering missionaries and the suffering people. Seems that God didn't want to use my strength. He wanted to use my weakness. He wanted to use my pain to accomplish his mission. So I want to challenge you to not run away from the pain that God has put into your life, whatever kind it may be. We're not masochists. We don't run to pain. I realize that. But God has not accidentally put the weaknesses and pain in your life. He's put them there, especially to show hospitality and love to those who are experiencing that kind of pain too. And so as, as I come nearer to the clothes, we run into the question of how. How in the world are we supposed to embrace pain and weakness? How are we supposed to love people that are so different from us, culturally, come from a different background, different stories? How are we supposed to experience pain and still have something to offer others? Again, as I've reflected over the last few months on these themes, it wasn't until just recently that I realized something. Our God was a displaced person. In Philippians 2.6, we read about the displacement that Jesus experienced. Although he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being found in the likeness of men. He realized that Christ's home was not on earth. It was in heaven at his father's side. And he left home voluntarily, yes, but he had to because of our sin. He was displaced from his home in heaven to earth. And so my God knows what it's like to be displaced, to be separated from his family be misunderstood, to live in chaos, to not know exactly where home is, displaced from heaven to earth for us. And like Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that although he was rich in heaven, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. The displaced people that are all around you, wherever they come from, they're experiencing weakness, pain, loss, chaos, estrangement. And if you're honest, if we're honest about our own experience, we experience that estrangement and pain as well. And that is right where God wants to meet us. He wants us to know him in his power, yes, but his power shown through weakness, a voluntary weakness, displaced from heaven and never truly settled into a home on earth. It comforts me as I, as I look at my two-year-old who's been whipped around from Ukraine, which is not her birth country, to Poland, where she doesn't in any way know the language or think of it as home to America where she had never lived before as her home to know that probably as a two-year-old Jesus who was born in was from Nazareth was born in Bethlehem and then soon thereafter was had to flee 
oppression to Egypt, a country where he probably didn't know any of the language and (laughs) did not have a home. And then he lived a life where he didn't have a place to lay his head. My God knows my children's pain, and he knows mine, and he knows yours. And he wants us to know him in that pain and weakness. And he wants us to know now that we do actually, actually we do have a home. Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our home is at the Father's side. Um, Let's pray together. Lord God, we pray that you would settle your word into our hearts and let us know your love shown in the weakness you voluntarily put yourself through. Speak to us and and reach us, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.